Blog Talk Radio. We will be talking sports and having fun doing it. I want all your ideas, all your opinions, and all your beliefs. And, of course, as always, you will get a heavy dose of my opinion. If you have an opinion, then I'm going to call 646-727-3070. That's 646-727-3070. You can listen to the show at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. That's blogtalkradio.com slash pecan. You can send messages to the show on Twitter at go for again, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Follow us there at go for us, go for again, and hit us up on Twitter at go for again. Follow us there, chat with us there, as we're going to talk sports and have fun doing a great show lined up for you today. Expected to be joined by welterweight contender Devin Alexander, who will discuss his upcoming fight against Jesus Soto Carras. June 21st on Showtime. So we're looking forward to talking to Devin about his big fight there. Also, expect to be joined by agent Craig Doman. And we're going to get an agent's take on, on his take on the Michael Sam situation. I know they're postponing the documentary that was supposed to be on own Oprah's network. Going to get his take on there, get his take on the NFL draft, and um, get his take as an agent. So we'll talk to him. Also, we're going to be joined by St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach Marlon Gill talk conference finals, NBA playoffs. This is what the NBA wanted. I, I, I think if this is if you're the NBA, you're all too happy about what you saw in terms of these matchups and these matchups are what you envisioned. I, I think is what you wanted, and, and you got it. probably the four best teams in basketball. I mean, we, we talked about it, in the East especially. It was all going to come down to the Pacers and the Heat. The Pacers were fighting like heck. The Pacers were fighting like heck to get that number one seed. They were fighting and fighting to get that number one seed. They got it. They got that number one seed. And in getting that number one seed, their goal was to ultimately get a game seven or just have home court advantage, but mainly, if it comes down to it, get, getting home court advantage and having the Heat play them in their building in a game seven. The Pacers talked about that all year long. Their goal, the number one seed, and they got it. And now they have their opportunity. They have their opportunity to now beat the Miami Heat, the team that has stood in their way, the past two seasons. They stood in their way. There's no excuses at this point, I think, for the Pacers in terms of home court advantage. You got it. You got everything you wanted if you're the Indiana Pacers. The Indiana Pacers wanted home court. They got it. They wanted an opportunity against the Heat. They got it. Everything that the Pacers set out to do at the beginning of the season to this point has been what they wanted to do. Now let's see what happens game seven. I mean, not game seven, in this series. 
I'm not even saying it's going to get to, it might not even get to a game seven. But let's see what's going to happen in the series because you look at the Pacers. They limped their way all the way to this point. I mean, they limped their way to this point. There was the Atlanta Hawks. That was the Atlanta Hawks. Who knew they could beat the Atlanta Hawks? Who knew? I mean, there was points in that time. There were points in that series. There was points in that series where you thought that the Pacers would actually lose to the Hawks. You thought that at points in that series, the Pacers were done, whether it was after game five, whether it was after game five when the Atlanta Hawks went into Indiana and blew them out. You know, you, you thought, okay, this team is done. The Hawks are going to beat the Pacers, and what a offseason it would be for the Indiana Pacers. But no. When the Pacers, when the Pacers, when the chips were down, and when they needed to be big at the biggest times, they were big and they got it done. I mean, you look at game six in Atlanta, backed against the wall. The Pacers get it done, and then they blow the Hawks out in game seven. You look at this series against the Washington Wizards. Even with that hiccup in game five where they got blown out in their home court, they came back. They came back in dominating fashion. I mean, the way they closed that game against the Wizards was a championship-like close. I mean, the Wizards took the lead. Bradley Bill took the lead on that three. And then the Pacers just took it from there and closed it out. But now they have the Miami Heat, and this is a, a, a totally different animal, a totally different team, and it might be curtains for the Pacers, but we'll see. But the biggest story I think in the NBA playoffs now at this point is Serge Ibaka. He's out for the playoffs at this point in time. That's a big loss. And you look at OKC over the past two seasons. Last year it was Westbrook. This year it's Ibaka. I mean, it shows you how, how difficult it is to win in the NBA. It shows you how difficult it was for the Miami Heat to make it to the NBA Finals three straight years and ultimately win two times. It shows you how difficult that is. It really does. And, and, and it shows you that not only does it come down to, to how you play, not only does it come down to, to your talent, but it comes down to staying healthy. It comes down to staying healthy. It comes down to that. It comes down to staying healthy. It comes down to that. It comes down to staying healthy. It really does. And OKC last season couldn't stay healthy. They go out in the second round. This time around, they make it to the first. They make it past the first two rounds in two tough series. And here's the thing, also, you got to look at. Look at the Miami Heat now, for example. First, in the first two rounds, they play nine games. Sweep the Bobcats, 
beat the Nets in five. Excuse me, beat the Nets in six. Well, that's five. No, they beat the Nets in five. Beat the Nets in five. So they sweep the Bobcats, and they beat the Nets in five. So that's only nine games. Only nine games. Conversely, you have OKC, who played a seven-game series against the Grizzlies, and then a six-game series, a hard-fought six-game series against the Clippers. That's 13 games. And it goes to the point I tweeted, I tweeted this a lot throughout the playoffs. It goes to the point where you don't want to play extra games. You don't want to play extra games. And, and that's why it's important to, to win games where you have an opportunity to win them, like a game four where you had an opportunity to win that game and go up three games to one in that series. Those are the games you've got to win. And I know you, you, you ultimately turned, you know, ultimately you, you did the same thing pretty much in game five to OKC, if you're, to the Clippers, I should say. But the reality is when you're going for a title and you have championship aspirations, you have to get it done when you have to get it done. And when you have an opportunity to close the team out, you've got to close them out because you never know what could happen. You just never know and how much injuries, injuries just change the complexion of everything. Westbrook last season, you go back to 1988, Isaiah Thomas and his ankle. Isaiah says it, if he's healthy, they win that series. So you go back to, to these things and you say, when you have an opportunity to close teams out, you've got to do it because you don't want to play extra games. Extra games leads to injuries. This is an 82-game series, including preseason. Now in the playoffs, you're talking about 100-plus games. It's a lot of games, a lot of wear and tear on your body. And now you're OKC. You no longer have your shot-blocking machine, your, your, your guy, to me, that, that this makes this team so athletic when you can have a, a Serge Ibaka on the court. I mean, there's times you can have Serge Ibaka on the court as your center, and, I mean, this guy is ultra-athletic, ultra-athletic. And the type of lineups that they can put on the court when Serge Ibaka is healthy, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And you look at OKC in terms of the defensive side of the ball, on the defensive side of the court, you look at this team and the numbers. They gave up 93 points per game or 93 points per 100 possessions with Ibaka on the court. With Serge Ibaka off the court, now you're, you're, you're talking about higher. 120.8 with Ibaka off the court. That's a big difference. That's a big difference. I mean, that's a huge difference. And obviously now you're OKC. You're not going to have that. You're not going to have that difference, difference maker. You're not going to have that guy that protects the rim, that protects the basket for you. You lose that now. You lose that. And it was key against the San Antonio Spurs. It was key. 
It was big time. You look at the Spurs in the restricted area in the paint, 64.8 field goal. They made 64% of their shots in the paint in the restricted area. That was the third best in the NBA. But against OKC and Serge Ibaka, that went down 14 percentage points to 50.4%. 50% goes, so it went down 18% with Serge Ibaka. Excuse me, 14% with Serge Ibaka on the basketball court. He's not going to be on the court in this series. That changes things. Also, also, you also have to look at it from this standpoint. You gotta look at it from this standpoint. Um, San Antonio, I think a lot of people, you know, last year San Antonio got to the NBA Finals, and a lot of people talked about how lucky they were to avoid OKC. How lucky they were that Russell Westbrook went down. How lucky they were. And they were lucky because I thought OKC would have got to the NBA Finals last season. And I thought with Ibaka being healthy, they were, I, I want to say close, I'm not going to say a cinch, because San Antonio Spurs are a very good basketball team, but I thought they would also make it to the NBA Finals. But it changes things. It changes things. Kevin Durant has to be big. Grr. Russell Westbrook has to be big. Grr. Defensively, I mean, Nick Collison, Steven Adams, Kendrick Perkins have to be have to step up their play. They have to step up their play. They have to. They have to step up their play. If OKC is going to have any chance of winning this series. I mean this this definitely changes things. We don't know what Tony Parker at this point is day to day. I'll bet he'll be fine for this series. I bet he'll be okay if I was betting. I I, I would bet that he'd be fine. But I I look at I, I look at this series now, and obviously it changes. It, it totally changes things. I mean, Serge Ibaka against the Spurs this season, and the OKC swept the Spurs this season. But Serge Ibaka, Serge Ibaka against the Spurs, fourteen points, eleven. Rebounds per game, and oh, by the way, four blocks. So now you take away those four blocks. Four blocks are now out of your lineup. Your rim protector is now out of your lineup. All the guy that that, that erased mistakes is now out of your lineup. That's big. That's big. I mean, it really, it really is big. And the thing about it now, and, and you wonder, you wonder if OKC can overcome it. You wonder if OKC can overcome this because this is going to be, you know, you're losing your rim protector. The numbers say you're in trouble. The numbers say Serge Ibaka protects the paint. The numbers say Serge Ibaka is a difference maker against OKC. That's what the numbers say. That's what the numbers say. 
and, it, and I think at this point it's kind of hard for us to determine what OKC will look like with Serge Ibaka off the court. I mean, it's hard to determine. I mean, what lineups do they throw out there? I mean, do they do they throw Kevin Durant at the four? I mean, do they do that? Maybe put him on uh, splitter and then try Perkins on Duncan. I mean, do do you try that and insert Karan Butler and Reggie Evans into the starting lineup? Do do you do that? Put Butler at the three, Durant at the four, Perk at the five, Reggie Jackson and at the two, and Westbrook at the one, or kind of flip flop those if you want. I mean, do you do that? I mean, what what do you do? It should be interesting. I think Scott Brooks. I think is going to be playing around with this as well. I think Scott Brooks is going to also be playing around with rotations, playing around with his rotation, playing around with lineups to see what will work against this Spurs team. I think that it's going to be a chess match, and it's going to be up to Scott Brooks to figure out what works, what lineup will be the best to go after the Spurs team. That should be interesting. And just looking forward, if OKC were to get by, this series. Now you go against the Miami Heat and you don't have a Baca and you become less athletic against a team that could possibly throw a LeBron at the four or or, or throw a Bosch there at the center and, and that could be a mismatch for Perkins. But we're, we're not there yet and, and OKC has a big big, big mountain to climb to get to that point, especially now without the services of Surge. Abaka. We'll get back to that in a moment. But I want to talk I want to talk about Michael Sam now and um yesterday it came out well initially a couple of days ago it came out that he was planning on doing a documentary on own Oprah's network, uh kind of documenting his life, more so outside of football, but documenting his life and, and showing his life and so on and so forth. Well, his agents, his team, the Rams and everybody involved with Michael Sam have decided not to do it. And here's the thing. This is the thing with Michael Sam. I mean, Michael Sam came to us, and he announced that he was gay. That's fine. It's his business. But he also said that he wanted to be known as a football player. And my thing with, with that, that's cool. That's great. But my thing with that is, okay, you have a website. You're selling merchandise. Staying with Sam, things of that nature. That's not sound like a guy who just wants to be a football player, okay? Um, you know, you, you, you have the press conference. You, you, you have all this pomp and circumstance. And as far as I'm concerned, and then you were going to come out with this documentary. And then there was a little backlash, a little pushback. I think once you heard that backlash and that pushback, you decided, you know what, it's best to, to calm this down. And I, and I was talking to somebody on Facebook about it, and I, and I said, I said it. I said, I believe that when it's all said and done, this will not see air anytime soon. You know why? Because I thought, with that being said, he had an anonymous player come out and say, you know, maybe that's not a good idea as well. So putting that all together, I was saying that, you know, it, it probably is not a good look for Michael Sam at this point in time to put this out there. It's probably not a good look at this point in time, and, and I agree. I don't think it's a good look for him to put it out there at this point in time. I think all the stuff, all the outside things of Michael Sam 
need to be squashed at this point. It needs to be settled down at this point. Michael Sam needs to gear up and focus on football. At the end of the day, he's only a seventh-round draft pick. At the end of the day, there's a lot of seventh-round draft picks who get cut. So at the end of the day, Michael Sam still has a lot to prove on the football field. He's got a lot to prove on the football field. A lot to prove. And you can argue, you can argue that maybe he should have won higher. But then I'll give you Jackson Jeffcoat of Texas, the son of Jim Jeffcoat. Well, Jackson Jeffcoat, Big 12 Player of the Year, Michael Sam, SEC Co-Player of the Year. Well, Jackson Jeffcoat didn't even get drafted. Did not even get drafted. He's All-American. Didn't even get drafted. So you look at the situation with Michael Sam. At one point I was thinking to myself, maybe there is some truth to that. Maybe him coming out and saying he was gay, maybe that pushed him down in the draft. But then you look at Jackson Jeffcoat not getting drafted. And then you look at Michael Sam's performance at the Combine. Not very good. Not very good at all. And then you look at Michael Sam now. A lot of people think he's a tweener, a guy who really, as a linebacker, can't really doesn't have, uh, you know, doesn't have what it takes athletic-wise to to be a linebacker, and is undersized as a defensive end. So a lot of people believe this guy is a tweener. And the thing about the St. Louis Rams, they drafted Michael Sam, but the St. Louis Rams are a team that has a very good front four. They run a 4-3. Michael Sam's an undersized, undersized defensive end. But the Rams, they have, they have depth, you know, on that line. They have Chris Long on that line, Robert Quinn on that line. I mean, they have some solid, solid guys on the defensive front. And so, and a lot of people are saying Michael Sam, you know, he's going to have a hard time playing special teams. He's going to have a hard time playing special teams, and quite frankly, is probably going to have a hard time making the St. Louis Rams. He's going to have a hard time because of, you know, the lack of versatility in his game. He's going to have a hard time. He's going to have a real hard time. So my point is, when it's Michael Sam needs to really focus on football and making the St. Louis Rams, he's going to have to focus on making sales. He's going to really have to focus on football. But here's the thing. If I'm the St. Louis Rams, and I'm going to be honest, I'm the St. Louis Rams and Michael Sam and another player, they're, they're, they're even. They're even. They're They're, they're close. And I had to choose between Sam and I had to choose between that other player, and they're close. I'm probably going to go with Michael Sam for the simple reason. You see how many of those 96 jerseys are being sold? You see the popularity surrounding this kid? There's a lot of it. A lot of popularity surrounding this kid. Especially if you feel like your locker room can handle it. If you feel like your locker room can handle it, then as far as I'm concerned, and I think you keep them if it's close. I think you keep them if it's close. If it comes down to Michael Sam and, 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 and some other player, I think you keep them because of the, 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 what he can do 
in terms of marketing, what you what he can do in terms of marketing, you know, in terms of you know getting that gay and lesbian fan base. I mean, I, I would do it. I would keep him on the roster if I'm the Rams, if it's that close. Bottom line, and, and I think you know this is where I'm at with it. You know, I, I just want to see what ha- if this kid can play. And I'm only concerned about whether he can play or not. All the other stuff is just the other stuff, as far as I'm concerned. Can he play? Bottom line, can he play? It's really not a story to me. But, you know, there's not many seventh-rounders who who get endorsement deals. He's got an endorsement deal with Visa. Um, There's not many seventh-rounders who get their name called, quite frankly. And so, you know, he got his name called. He has an opportunity now. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about the kiss and him kissing his boyfriend after being drafted, so on and so forth. First of all, I knew it was going to happen. I, I, I knew it was going to happen. And, and, I mean, that's his prerogative, his business. I knew it was going to happen. And here's my biggest issue with this whole thing. Here's my biggest issue with it. There's not always going to be people who are going to agree with Michael Sam's lifestyle. And, and, and as far as I'm concerned, that's, his, that's everybody's, everybody's entitled to their opinion. They, this, this is not for me. I, this is not my lifestyle. This is not the way I choose to live my life. And there's going to be a lot of people who feel the same way. This is not for me. It's just not for me. And it's not the way, you know, I, I do operate. This is not the way I operate, and it's not the way I live my life. I, this is not for me. And there's always going to be people out there who's going to feel that way. That is not for them, his, his lifestyle. It's not for them. And as far as I'm concerned, I mean, that's their prerogative too. I think everybody should have a seat at the table, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of an opinion. Everybody should, should be allowed to have a seat at the table without being called a gay basher or a homophobe or anything of that nature. You should be allowed a seat at the table to discuss how you feel. You may agree with it, you may not agree with it, but you should be allowed to discuss how you feel without name-calling, without you being called various types of names. I mean, that's just the way, that's, that's just the, my takeaway overall from this whole thing. That's my takeaway. That's my take. You should be allowed to have a seat at the table to discuss how you feel about this situation, whether you're for it or against it or what have you. You should have that opinion. You should be allowed to have that opinion. You should be. And and I think more often than not, people's opinions are getting silenced. You look at Don Jones of the Miami Dolphins, got fined, was told to stay away from OTAs because of his tweet, you know, saying after the kiss, after Michael Sam's kiss with his boyfriend, says after he he tweeted out, OMG, this is horrible. That's what he tweeted out. That's what he tweeted out. He tweeted, OMG and horrible. Ultimately, he apologized, but ultimately he was fined, and ultimately he was suspended and told not to report to OTAs. I mean, I, I think that was a little too much. That's a little excessive. I mean, he, he's allowed, as far as I'm concerned, to have that opinion. If he feels like it's horrible, he's allowed to say it's horrible. He should be entitled to that opinion. I don't think he's hurting anybody. I don't think he's hurting anybody by having that opinion. 
and, and, I, and, I, and I think, you know, you look at this country, this country was built on freedom of opinion, freedom of speech. Everybody is entitled to have an opinion. I can have an opinion, you can have an opinion, and we can discuss our opinions. That's the beauty of opinions. That's the beauty of opinions. We all can have them. We all do have them. And we're all entitled to have them. And Don Jones had an opinion. He had an opinion. But the opinion got him fined, got him suspended. That, to me, is not having a seat at the table. That, that to me, is not allowing guys to discuss how they feel about certain issues. This is America. Freedom of speech goes all different ways. Donald Sterling, for example. Do I disagree with his comments? Sure, of course I do. But is he entitled to have that opinion? Yes, he is. That's his opinion. That's his opinion. And he's entitled to have that opinion. And he can have that opinion if that's the opinion that he has. But Don Jones... You know, I, I don't think his, his, what he said was coming out from a, uh, a standpoint of hate. Obviously, OMG and horrible is, is determined. You can't determine that's hateful speech. I don't think that's hateful speech. That's just something, you know, he saw something. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us are not used, depending on where you come from, most of us are not used to seeing two men kiss on TV, especially when it comes to surrounding sports. Most people are not used to seeing that. So their reactions may, be, may vary, and, and the reactions may not all be positive. And, you know, as long as you have religion involved in, in, the, in our country and, and religion in general, you're going to have people that's going to be against this lifestyle. That's just the reality of the situation. As long as there's Christianity, there's always going to be people who are going to disagree with this lifestyle. And... That's just they're, they're allowed to disagree with the lifestyle. If they don't like the lifestyle, they're entitled to say they don't like the lifestyle. They're entitled to say that and should be allowed to say it. I mean, if that's what they believe. I mean, we're a country built on religious freedoms. So you're allowed to express your religion. And, you don't. I mean, the thing about it is, you know, there are a lot of people out here who have opinions about this who, who say it in a, a non-hateful way. And so you're going to have that, and, and that should be okay. Just let people, at the end of the day, here's my point. Hate it, love it, agree, disagree. Let's just let them, let everybody, let everybody, for, against, or what have you, have a seat at the table. Let everybody have a seat at the table. Let everybody have the seat at the table. And I hope we can get to a point. I mean, this is 2014. I hope we can get to a point in life, in this country, in, this, in, in sports in general, where press conferences and, and press releases and, and things of that nature don't have to be had when a guy tells the world that he's gay. I mean, you know, I, I just hope we can get to that point because it's really not relevant. It, it really isn't. It really is not relevant. And I think Michael Sam, you know, as much as he says this is about, you know, I just want to be known as Michael Sam, the football player, I, as much as he says that, 
His actions are telling me otherwise. And his actions are telling me he wants to be known as Michael Sam, the gay football player. He wants to be known as Michael Sam, uh, almost, I, I, I get the sense of pioneer-like in some respect, a trailblazer, if you will. Maybe the Jackie Robinson of, of you know, this, maybe the, he wants to be known as, as the Jackie Robinson of the gay movement, if you will. And, you know, you, you heard some people talk about and make that comparison, and to me it's, it's, it's far off, it's, it's not a legit comparison. It, it's not even close as far as I'm concerned. I mean, you know, being black is something you could never hide. You could hide homosexuality if you wanted. You can hide being gay if you wanted. You can't hide being black. That's something you really can't hide. Um, secondly, Michael Sam doesn't really have the talent that Jackie Robinson had. You know, and, and you know, at the time, no one has ever said that, that, gay, that gay men could not play football. Well, there was a time when people said, that black men cannot play in Major League Baseball. So the point I'm trying to make is there's really no comparison here as far as I'm concerned. And secondly, secondly, we've had gay players in the National Football League. Have we had openly gay players? Well, maybe at least not to the public, but I'm sure there's people in the locker room know that this guy, that guy, that guy is gay. So they may not be open about it, but they know that the person is gay. So you can't hide... You can't hide being black, but you can hide sexuality. So here's, the, here's my whole point. Is this really that big of a story? Here, is this Michael Sam really that big of a story when you think about it? Is it really that big of a story? And I have to say, it's really not. It's really not. Because no one at any point ever said in writing that gays were not able to play professional football. No one. So, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, this is really not that big of a story. And I hope, you know, I mean, I wish Michael Sam nothing but the best. And, but I think at this point in time, he needs to get rid of, he needs to fall back on everything else and close in and focus on football, focus on being an NFL football player, which is a tough enough job. You need to focus on being an NFL football player. That's what I think he needs to do at this point in time. Fall back on everything else and lock in on being an NFL football player. He has a tough journey. He's a seventh-round pick. He's on a team that, that has, that's deep on a defensive line, that's deep at defensive end. Michael Sam needs to focus on becoming the best football player he can be and go back to being that guy, that guy that he said he wanted to be, and that's just the football player. That's what he told us. So he needs to go back to being that guy and focus on and, and, and take away all the other stuff and focus on being the best Michael Sam he can be on the football field. Let's go back to the NBA now. and you know we, We've heard the story, Serge Ibaka, out for these playoffs, and that's big. That is big, and, and will OKC be able to replace that? Is it replaceable, really? And I don't, I'm not really too sure it is. But to talk about, let's bring in a guy now who knows a lot about the sport of basketball, St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach and our NBA analyst, Marlon Gill. Marlon, how are hey. you? Hey, Paul, I'm doing all right, man. How about yourself? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. 
No, no problem. Thanks for having me as always, man. And and Marlon, let's get right down to it. Serge Ibaka out for the rest of the playoffs. I mean, they lose shot blocking. They lose a guy who averaged four blocks a game against the Spurs in the regular season. They lose that rim protection. They lose it. What does that loss mean to OKC? Put it into words. Uh, it's a big loss uh, for them, you, you know, like you said. Uh, going against the Spurs in, in this conference finals, you know, he, he was a big key, you know, a guy that could, you know, neutralize Tim Duncan on the uh, on the defensive end a, a little bit. You know, he made it a little hard for, for Tim to score around the basket, you know, and, and people forget, you know, he, he's a very big offensive rebounder. Uh, you know, you look at the tips, tip-ins that, you know, he missed against Memphis, uh, the tip-in that he missed against the Clippers, but th- those are big plays, and those are the things that he provides. So, you know, it's a big loss for them. Uh, you know, Kendrick Perkins will have to step up. But now, you know, it makes it, makes it harder. You know, the Spurs have a lot. That front line is pretty good, you know, with Tim Duncan, Splitter, uh, Kawhi Leonard, when, when they slide him to a four a little bit, won't be easy for Oklahoma uh, losing Ibaka. Definitely, and and let me ask you this: I mean, obviously, you talked about Serge. I mean, you talked about Kendrick Perkins having to step up his play. Nick Collison is going to have to do the same. Stephen Adams, Stephen Adams, excuse me, is going to have to do the same as well. Can those guys hold down the fort? Uh, you know what? I, I think they can, man. To be honest with you, uh, Nick Collison played very well in the uh, series against the Clippers, doing the little things. You know, making the extra pass, uh, stressing out the defense, and, you know, just being a, a very good player. He's not great, but knows what his role is and, and does what, what he has to do. Steven Adams has been great. Uh, you know, he, he brings a, a little bit of a toughness that you don't really see, uh, flexes his muscle in the paint a little bit. Uh, you know, and he's a little older. You know, granted, he, he's a rookie, but he, he's a little older. Um, and Oklahoma right. – is going to depend on him even more now, uh, you know. But I, I think Collison, you know, with the little things that he brings, you know, can be an X factor. Yeah, and I, I think Collison can give him some decent minutes. He's also a decent pick and pop type of guy. He can definitely hit a jump shot. So, and he's t- like as you said, he's a very tough guy. So I, I think yes, I think he could possibly hold down the fort, but it's definitely going to be tough. Obviously, you know, Scott Brooks has a tough job here. I mean. Let's say you're Scott Brooks now. You're, in a, you're a basketball coach. Let's say you're Scott Brooks now. How do you mm-hmm. devise a lineup at this point? What lineup do you throw out there? Do you put Kevin Durant possibly at the four at some points? What do you do? Uh, no, you know what? I, I think you have to. Uh, you know, and, and Scott Brooks is a very good coach, and he'll figure, figure it out, the lineups that, that he has to go with. But, you know, I also think with, with Ibaka going down, you know, it provides opportunity now for Karan Butler to, to step up now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reggie Jackson to have even more of an impact. You know, Russell Westbrook to make the right decisions. You know, and, and Kevin Durant's going to do what he does. You know, you look at how he started off that last game, the closeout game against the Clippers, it was awful, you know, and, and in the early stages. And look how he turned it around. So you know what you're going to get from Durant. You know what you're going to get from Russell Westbrook a little bit if his head is on right. But I, I think right. those other guys now, they got to step up even more. Uh, Karan Butler, this is why you were brought here late in the season. 
Reggie Jackson, you're emerging into a, uh, you know, big-time player in the playoffs, aside from the four-second spurt that he had against Memphis in the uh, other series. Uh, you know, Steven Adams has to step up. Nick Collison has to step up. Cephalosa, everybody has to step up uh, another notch, you know, because it won't be easy. You know, it's one thing with the Spurs, man. They're, they're consistent with what they do. Uh, you know, for them, this is expected. You know, anything less than at least a trip to the Western Conference Finals is a disappointment. So, you know, they expect it to be here, and uh, they're going to play that way. We're talking to NBA analyst Marlon Guild and, and, and Marlon, you look at it now and, and you talk about the Spurs, and, and this is a team many expected to be at this point. This is a team that is solid. They do all the fundamentally sound things. They play hard. They're well coached. At this point in time, what do you think the Spurs need to do in this series to win this series? In the regular se- in the season series, OKC beat them four games to nothing, but again, Serge Ibaka was playing. But what do the Spurs need to do to win this series? Uh, just play team basketball. Do, do do what you do. You know they they know what their formula is that that got them to this point. Uh, you know it'll be interesting to see how Tony Parker is. You know after uh, having his little hamstring strain the other day. Um, yeah. You know, you know what you're going to get from Tim Duncan. I, I think Kawhi Leonard is a star in the making. You know we saw what he was able to do in the finals sure. last year against Miami. And uh, he, he hasn't missed a beat, you know, if you ask me, this entire season. Uh, you know, so he has to continue to keep playing aggressively, playing smart. And then the rest of those guys, you know, they just know what their uh, what their role in and what their game is. You know, Splitter knows that, hey, I, I come in and I, I bring some kind of toughness. Bellinelli knows, hey, if I'm open, shoot threes. Danny Green, the same thing. Uh, Patty Mills has been getting some time now. He knows what he sure. has to do. Um, you know, and, and then you got Manu Ginobili, who you knows on, on the downside of his career, but is still good for 14, 15 points a game and, and can go off for a 20, 20 plus game, you know, if, if you let him, you know? For sure. For sure. And, and we'll get your, we'll get your prediction on this series in a moment, but let's go to the Pacers in the heat. And first of all, did you expect the Pacers to get to this point? I did earlier in the year, uh, and as the year was winding down, I would have said no. But uh, you know, the thing with the Pacers, they're they're a veteran team, you know, and I think it all starts with David West. Uh, you know, whatever was going on in the locker room, I guarantee you he got those guys to figure it out, and let's put it to the side. Uh, you know, you, you hear different stories which is true, you don't know. Uh, right. But, you know, I, I tell you what, they've been battle-tested these first two rounds, and this is what they've been waiting for, to uh, to play Miami. And, you know, that they talked about it all year. Hey, this is why we played hard and wanted to have home court advantage. Well, now, now you got it. Now it's just a matter of can they figure it out. Uh, it won't be easy, but, you know, now they're starting to click at the right time. But I, I'll say this. You know, they've struggled against teams that have brought it to them. You know, uh, you look at when Washington was ready to go and John Wall was playing on another level. You know, I thought the other night, I think John Wall might have been overhyped rather than playing the way he was playing up until that point. Bradley Beal, the same thing. Those guys were playing for home run plays rather than just playing the game. 
And, uh, you know, you have a team like the Pacers, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been here before. Uh, they're battle-tested. And, you know, going into this series against the Heat, it'll be very interesting. I think they'll figure it out and won't have any slippage. Uh, I think it'll go seven, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. And we look at Roy Hibbert, and, and every time Roy Hibbert has scored in double figures in these playoffs, every time the Pacers have won. So is it safe to say the Pacers go as Roy Hibbert goes? Uh, yeah, you can say that, but I, I also think it, it's big for uh, George Hill to have a good series. Uh, Lance Stevenson to not let his emotions get the best of him. Uh, you, you know, more so the other guys. You know, Evan Turner, this is why you were brought here. You know, True. it hasn't really worked out. You know, you, you can say that. But, uh, you know, I think those guys have to step up some more. You know, you know what you're going to get with David West. You know, you know what you're going to get with Paul George, who, you know, earlier in the year I thought he was on, you know, about to take that next level to be mentioned with the LeBrons and KDs and those guys. You know, it hasn't really sure. happened that way. Uh, but, you know, you know what you're going to get with those two guys. And Roy, obviously, if he plays well, the Pacers have a better chance of winning. But I think those other guys are, are more important. George Hill to play well, Stevenson to play well, and Evan Turner to, to come to life. We're talking to NBA analyst Marlon Gill. Marlon, let's look at the Heat. Let's look at it from the Heat perspective. I, mean, I, I, I talked about this early in the show. You look at it, OKC, they play, what, 13 games, seven-game series mm-hmm. against the Grizzlies, six-game series against the Clippers. Miami Heat have only played nine games, and I think it's always important in these playoffs, because of the uncertainty, because of the minutes, and because of how many games that got you, you beat teams when you need to beat them, and the Miami Heat have beaten teams when they needed to beat them and haven't been in any type of long or hard series. But looking at this team now, what do you think the Heat need to do in this series to beat the Pacers? Uh, <laughs> simple. Have the big three play well. That's it. Right. You know, you know with LeBron – I mean, the defensive uh, effort that he put on Joe Johnson that last minute in, in the yeah. series to close out the Nets was unbelievable. Uh, I was talking with some friends about it. The uh, the last play where Joe had the ISO, if, if you look at LeBron, we call it a, a grown man forearm. Joe Johnson couldn't go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> and it, it really brought it back to old school basketball. Um, yeah. You know, so LeBron's playing on a – on a different level right now. Dwayne Wade is starting to figure himself out, you know, with the injuries that he had earlier in the year. And I'll tell you what, you know, Chris Boss is playing probably the best basketball that he's played in his entire career in the playoffs. Uh, He's a guy now in pick-and-pop situations. He's probably just as dangerous as anybody else on on the Heat roster at making the 17- to 20-foot jump shot. Uh, You know, you look at play where they took the lead on the Nets. It was a, a pick-and-roll play with Bosch, and they threw it out to Chalmers on the fill-up. Or, excuse me, Chalmers hit uh, Bosch with one more three-point shot in the corner. Six eleven guys aren't supposed to do that. You know, and, and he's knocking that down with consistency. So now, you know, it presents a problem for the Pacers. You know, if he's making that shot, does Roy Hibbert come out all the way to uh, 20 feet and guard him out there? If so, Chris can go right around and get to the basket. And now it just opens up 
different things for Miami. Do we see Greg Oden at any point in this series? I don't think so. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you need him. You know, he's been looking good in those suits that he's been wearing on the bench. So why? <laughs> and, and up until this point, has Miami had any trouble? You no. know, we we thought they would have trouble against the Nets. That wasn't uh, that wasn't the case. And you know, in the first round, you know, they didn't have. In any trouble, so I don't, I don't see a need for, for Greg Oden. It's good to have him as insurance, but you know, I'm, I'm sure uh, Eric Spolstra, uh, Pat Riley, they, they all think the same thing. Hey, you look good in that suit. Sit down. <laughs> We're talking to NBA analyst uh, Marlon Kelton. Marlon, I, I want to ask you this now: uh, Steve Kerr to the Warriors, Mark Jackson to the Booth. What happens with the Knicks now? What happens to the Knicks? I, I'm hoping Phil Jackson gives Mark Jackson a call. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the Steve Curry thing, you know, I, I understand the familiarity between Steve Curry and Phil Jackson. And, you know, me being a, a Knicks fan, we're going to find a way to mess this up. No doubt about it. <laughs> uh, it it's like the uh, 99 draft all over again. We had a chance to get Ron Artest. We take Frederick Weiss. Uh, 2002, you have a chance to uh, get Amari Stoudemire. You end up taking Nene, which you probably would have been better off in keeping, but then you trade that pick for Antonio McDyce and uh, Nicholas Gidizvili, and that hasn't worked out. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but uh, fearing the worst. Uh, okay. you know, just, uh, earlier today, like I heard guys like Derek Fisher mentioned, uh, you know, that, that I'm not really sold on that. You know, you saw how hard it was for Jason Kidd uh, this year with the Nets, but he had veteran guys that understood what it took. You know, with, with the Knicks, you need a guy that can put his foot down. You, you know, and I think Mark Jackson does that, not in an uh, antagonistic way, but, you know, when he talks, guys, listen, you know, you know, he uh, has a silent voice, but, you know, if you speak with silence, sometimes people will listen, and I think that's the kind of effect he would have on the Knicks. And I look at, you know, nothing against Steve Kerr, but, you know, what really has Steve Kerr done? I mean, this is his first coaching job. I know he was a GM in this league, but it's weird. I mean, five years, $25 million. For, and I'm not knocking Steve Kerr, and, uh, you know, you know, more power to him. But what has Steve Kerr done? And is it pretty much that Phil Jackson wanted him, and that's why? And that's probably why his his stake is so high. A lot of people really want this guy. But at the end of the day, Phil Jack—I mean, not Phil Jack—Steve Kerr has never coached in the NBA before. No, very true, very true. And you know, but you look at the uh, success that Mark Jackson had going from the booth to uh, the sideline. I mean, even look at the success Jason Kidd had. Like I said, he, he figured it out, you know, uh, early on. Him and Lawrence Frank had their little spat, but it, it took time for him to figure it out. And, you know, Steve Kerr is a guy that has been in the front office. So, you know, he, he knows what it takes behind the scenes. He, you know, and, and watching him, or listening to him, I should say, do these games in the playoffs, a very sharp mind. Uh, so, you know, Translating that to, to the bench, I think 
will be a little tough for him, but it won't be as tough as people think. You know, he's been around Phil Jackson those three championships with with the Bulls. Uh, he knows the triangle offense, which uh, still wants to uh, implement. It seems like with, with this Nick team, uh, you know, so I, or, or wanted to implement, I should say, you know, with Golden State. I mean, it's a better situation for him, uh, I guess, from, from a family standpoint. They're in a better position to win now, but you know, sometimes. You know, it's not always green on the other side. You know, going to Golden right. State, there's going to be a lot of expectations to uh, win right now. You know, a lot of people felt that they probably should have beat the Clippers, and, you know, they probably should have. But when you have those young guys that they have over there who ha- had a very strong relationship with Mark Jackson, that's not going to be easy to uh, to overcome, you know, to win that locker room over. For sure. You know, sure. so his first – you know, as soon as he's done broadcasting, those first couple weeks, first month or so, are, are going to be vital, you, you know, because you, you want guys to believe in what you're doing from day one. Uh, and, you know, knowing that Steve Kerr has been in the front office before, I, I know he understands that. And I, I'm sure he has some things in place to make sure that this transition runs smoothly. But, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, this guy's never coached a day in the NBA. And, you know, I mean, again, he was a GM in this league. And, again, he comes with seemingly high praise from everybody. But we'll see. We'll see how this thing plays out because, like you said, and and I believe this. I believe the Knicks job is actually a better job from the standpoint. You look at the Eastern Conference and what the Knicks would have to go through. I mean, Miami's uncertain. We don't know what LeBron's going to do. I mean, Indiana, do they scare you? No. The Nets, they're they're a team that may be in transition. They're going to have to make a lot of moves this offseason. And so as far as I'm concerned, the Nick job is a better job, especially if you can sign Melo. If you sign Melo after 2015, the cap is, is decent, and you can get some decent guys. And I think the Knicks as a team right now, you know, with the, with the way their roster is presently constructed, I think they're a playoff team. And Golden State's out west. You know, they got to go through OKC. they got to go through the Clippers. they got to go through San Antonio, the Houston Rockets. I mean, so I think the Knicks job is better. Who, what job is better to you? Uh, well, you know what, I, I'll, I'll say this. New York isn't for everybody. Uh, sure. You know, the minute, the minute things don't go the way people wanted them to go, you're going to hear about it, and, and they're going to let you know. And I don't know if that factored into Steve Kerr's decision. Uh, but, you know, Golden State, if, if you're not winning, it's, it's not really that talked about. I mean, aside from Golden State, I mean, you're playing in California where you still have the Lakers that are mentioned before the Warriors. The Clippers, you know, are, are mentioned before the Warriors. So, you know, I, I think you can probably get away with a little bit more going to Golden State. Uh, you know, in New York, I mean, aside from the Yankees, maybe the Giants, the Knicks are probably that second, third team that, that's mentioned. So, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility comes with that. Uh, you know, and, and we, we know that management is not easy, easy to deal with. Uh, you know, so I'm sure that factored in for Steve a little bit, knowing uh, the management in Golden State. Obviously, knowing Phil would have helped, but, you know, we know that there's a owner in New York who isn't really liked by a lot of people. So, sure. you know, I, I think all those things 
factored in and will factor in with a guy that the Knicks can bring in. It's got to be a guy that has thick skin and doesn't let things get to him, uh, a la uh, Mark Jackson or maybe even a Phil Jackson. We start that one back right. up. Uh, Who knows? Maybe Phil come down. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> you know, it, it could, could be something where it's almost like a Pat Riley, Stan Van Gundy thing. You know? True. Uh, Phil's grooming somebody. They don't have it rolling the way he wants it. All right, well, step to the side. Let me show you how it's done. Right. We're talking to NBA analyst, analyst Marlon Gilder. Marlon, let's get to your predictions now. Let's go with the Spurs and OKC. Who wins and 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 how many games? I'm going to say the Spurs in six. And okay. reason being, you know, losing Ibaka is huge. And I just think uh, Kawhi Leonard is a star in the making. Uh, now, he's nowhere near Kevin Durant, but he's not that far off either. You know, you know what you're going to get with him. Uh, 17 points a game six rebounds, three steals, you know, a guy that can do a little bit of, of everything. Uh, Tim Duncan on the block is still Tim Duncan, you know, probably the best power forward, if not top three power forwards of, of all time. Uh, Tony Parker, you know, he's been down this road before. He, he understands what it takes. Ginobili, the same thing. And I, I say that just to say this. The Spurs feel that last year they should have won the championship. You know, they they were robbed by Ray Allen, and, and they understand that. And I think, you know, the way that they've played this entire playoff series uh, throughout the playoffs, or even just for the year, you know, nobody's talked about them. What have they easily just gone on to be the number one seed in, in the West? Uh, home mm-hmm. court advantage speaks a lot, you know. Sure. And I, I don't know if those other guys on Oklahoma – are there yet? You know, I, I know Durant's there. Westbrook is there. Even they're to the finals with, with two different teams, but just those those other guys, you still don't know yet. Collison, Reggie Jackson, uh, Stephen Adams, uh, Cephalosha, and, and even Karan Butler. You, you know, Karan's been in the league long enough, but has he been in this moment? And Will he be able to take advantage of the moment? I'm not too sure, you know. So I'm I'm gonna have to go with the Spurs and six. Let me ask you this: If Ibaka was healthy, would it be different? What would, what would be your prediction if Serge Ibaka was there? I say Spurs and seven. Okay. All right. So <laughs> let's go to let's go to Miami and Indiana. Who wins that, and how many games? I'm going to say Miami in five. Five. In in five. In five. Uh, the, the home court advantage stuff that Indiana was talking about all year. All right, now you finally get the uh, opportunity. And I, I just don't think that they have it. You know, the way their season ended going into the playoffs was very shaky. You know, they probably should have lost to Atlanta. Uh, Washington gave them a run for their money. And, you know, you, you look at Miami – They've been coasting. Let's let's be honest. You know, the Nets gave them a little bit of a of a challenge, but it really really wasn't. A ch- I'll ask you: Did did you expect the Nets to, to have a chance to win that series? I expected to possibly go six, but I didn't think the Nets were going to win. Well, <laughs> well, there you go. Or, or even the first round, 
did, did they show you anything that said we might be in trouble? You talking the Nets or the Heat? Uh, Miami. The Heat? No, yeah. no, not at all. No, not at all. Yeah. Especially after Al Jefferson went down, but they still would have won the series in five, maybe, if Jefferson was healthy. And I'm going to even show you how much of a uh, – how bored Miami was. And, and this is not me being disrespectful to Charlotte. You know, I, I think Steve Clifford's a great coach. Uh, my boss is actually a uh, disciple of, of Steve Clifford. I forgot for a while who Miami played in the first round. <laughs> so th- that just shows you, you, you know, if if I can think that, and, and not to say that Miami thought that way, but you know, they they was they're like the Spurs. They knew that uh, anything less than making it to the NBA Finals is a disappointment. Forget just making it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Anything less than NBA Finals was a disappointment, um, and. They're like that old machine that, you know, they're just they're tuned up and ready to go. Uh, LeBron's playing on a different level. Dwayne Wade's healthy. Chris Bosh is making shots. Ray Allen is making shots. Uh, Mario Chalmers, even though I don't think he's good, I, I despise him, but <laughs> he's playing well. You, you, you know, and then you got guys on the bench. Rashard Lewis can come in. When his number's called, be ready to go. Norris Cole can be ready to go, and we can keep Greg Oden in that suit at the end of the bench and next to Mike Beasley. I think that's just how it's going to go. So you like the Heat, and ultimately you like the Spurs, and you like a rematch of last year's NBA Finals. I mean, that's not a bad NBA Final, for no doubt about it. Not a bad one at all, so we'll see what happens. Should be very no, interesting. Definitely. Definitely, definitely will. Looking forward to watching it. For sure. Marlon, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best. Let's do it again. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Marlon Gale, St. Peter's College assistant basketball coach. Also bring him on as our NBA analyst to discuss the Eastern and Western Conference Finals, which get started tomorrow, Sunday, 3.30 p.m. in Indiana. Should be very interesting. Second hour, go for it. Starts right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man, Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! We're back. Second hour of Go For It. Getting started in this hour. Expected to be joined by Agent Craig Doman. Also expected to be joined by welterweight contender Devin Alexander, who has a big fight June 21st against Jesus Soto Carras. And it's a comeback fight for Devin Alexander. We're going to talk to him about that big fight. Also, we're going to talk to Craig Doman, get his take on this draft, get his take on on Michael Sam and and him postponing his own TV show and things of that nature. So it should be a good time with those guys. So Craig Doman at 210 and Devin Alexander at 230 in this second hour. I want to start and go back to the NFL. Robert Mathis, 
suspended four games by the NFL for performance-enhancing drugs. And apparently, him, he, he tried, and hit the reason he is suspended is because of a fertility drug. And currently, he said his wife, him and his wife are expecting a baby. But, but he didn't get permission from the Players Association, didn't ask anybody in the Players Association, didn't ask anybody in the NFL whether or not the fertility drug that he took was acceptable was, and that he was able to take it. So, a guy who had a big-time year, 19 and a half sacks by this guy, and there's only been four players over the age of 32, four players over the age of 32 who have had big-time seasons. And, and you look at Robert Mathis, he's had the best. He's had the best. And 19 and a half sacks was eight more than his previous career high. So I'm not saying it's because of that, but but maybe it worked. Maybe it worked. So... And he put out a comment and a statement, and his publicist said this, that Mathis's wife, or excuse me, mother, was diagnosed with esophageal cancer last August, and that he was looking to, to get her, give her another grandchild. He was looking to give her another grandchild, so he decided, you know what, maybe I need to take these fertility pills to make that happen. Maybe that, that's his story. That's his story. And that's what he's telling us. I don't know. I mean, at this point, the appeals are over. It's all done. The suspension is, is, is in place, and Roger Cadell isn't buying it, and so the suspension is in place. Four games. Four games. And, you know, he sought medical assistance, he said, for fertility challenges. He wanted to have a baby. But, again, as he acknowledged, he did not, he did not, consult the Players Association or the NFL to see if it was okay for him to take those fertility pills. And so at this point, Robert Mathis is suspended for four games. And, you know, you want to believe him. He took Clomid as the drug. You want to believe him. And he said he he stopped taking it in November after he found out his wife was, in fact, pregnant. So... We'll see what happens here. He has his appeal. It's done. Now I think he's trying to, you know, state his case in the court of public opinion. But, again, you know, this guy last season had a tremendous year, his best season as a pro, his best season as a pro. And he made a lot of plays last season, a lot of plays last season. I mean, this is a guy last season, 19 and a half sacks. 19 and a half sacks for Robert Mathis. That's his career high. That's his career high. You look at 2012, he had eight sacks, and in 2011, he had nine, nine and a half sacks. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who made an 11 and a half sack jump last season and went from one forced fumble to eight forced fumbles last season. Something worked. Something worked last season for Robert Mathis. Something worked. 33 years old but was 32 during the season last year. And he had a tremendous year. He had a career year. And now he's suspended four games for taking a fertility drug. We don't know what the truth is. 
You know, his his truth is that he, he took it to have another baby. The NFL wasn't buying it. Since the NFL is not buying it, Robert Mathis has been suspended for four games, and that's a big blow for the Colts. That's a big blow for this ball club, a big blow. I mean, that's a big blow. You know, your 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 team now in those first four games. Those first four games, you have Denver, who loves to throw the football, and Philadelphia, who loves to throw the football. So now you're not going to have your premier rusher for the first two games against teams who are pass-happy teams, teams who can throw throw the football. I don't want to call Philadelphia a pass-happy team because they run the ball just as much as they throw the ball, but they are are a team that can throw the football. And then you have Jacksonville and Tennessee. So those are the first four. He'll be eligible to return October 5 against the Baltimore Ravens. So – you're missing 19 and a half sacks. That's big. 19 and a half sacks are now out of your lineup, at least for the first four games. 19. So 19 of your 42 sacks, 19 of your 42 total sacks will be on the bench and out for the first four games. That's going to be big, and hopefully if you're a Colts fan, they can replace that or or at least hold the fort down for those four games until he can make a return. That's big. Very big. Johnny Manziel, he's out and about, having his first practice, you know, first first on-the-field workout. And this is a guy, you know, Johnny Heisman, who we found out was texting Brown's quarterback coach and telling him, look, and urging him, look, I wish you guys would come get me. Hurry up, draft me, because I went to wreck this league. And, you know, that's Johnny Manziel. That's who he is. That's what makes him special. That's why everybody loves him. Johnny Heisman this is a guy who, who has that swagger, if you will. That guy, you know, is just confident. His confidence, he just exudes confidence. He oozes with confidence. He's a very confident football player. And, you know, what he will be in this league, I don't know. But you've got to love his confidence. He's telling the Browns quarterback coach to come get me Let's, so I can wreck this league. Come get me. Get me. And ultimately they got him. And now – and this guy has a number one selling jersey out of all the rookies thus far. Michael Sam is second. And so Johnny Menzel, we'll see if he's going to be big time. But we do know he's going to get big time attention. We do know, and the Browns are trying to limit some of that attention. They're trying to limit some of that attention. But we all know. He's going to get a lot of it. And then other Browns have barred national media, limiting their access to Johnny Manziel. So, and I think it's kind of smart. You know, you don't want to make it a circus. You don't want to make it a circus. And, and you want to to keep him focused, and you don't want him distracted by any of the outside things. You want him focused on football. And it's similar to Michael Sam. As I say, well, Michael Sam, you want him focused on football. If you're 
more so, I don't think, I, I would have to say more so if you're in Michael Sam's team, if you're his publicist, you're his agent, you're, you're one of those guys, you want to make sure that Michael Sam now is, is focused on football. That's what you want. You know, because you don't you want him to be able to make the roster so he can ultimately do that documentary. You want him to make the roster so ultimately he can make more money on those outside things. That's what you want. That's what you want. So that's the situation with Michael Zaman, Johnny Menzel. Again, you want him focused because hey, he could be your starting quarterback, maybe even this season. He could be your starting quarterback this season. It's not the starter this season. Definitely probably going to be the starter next year for the Cleveland Browns. And he may not even start the season, but he's definitely going to play, I believe, in this, during this season. So you want this guy focused because you know there's always going to be a lot of attention when it comes to Johnny Manziel. He, he, he just brings attention to him by his, you know, his personality. And, I mean, ultimately we – gravitated towards Johnny Menzel because of what he did on the football field. That was a start, and his personality just kept us there. And his play kept us, kept us there as well. So we'll see. Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson, we, we first of all, Steve Kerr takes the deal with the, the Golden State Warriors. He replaces Mark Jackson. And, you know, now Mark Jackson has decided to go back into the booth. He's decided that he is going to be an analyst for now. And I don't know the terms of his contract. They say it's a multi-year deal with ESPN. I don't know the terms of the contract, but I'm assuming there is some kind of opt-out somewhere. Somewhere. I'm assuming there's some kind of opt-out somewhere. And Mark Jackson now has an opportunity with, ESPN, and, and mama, there goes that man again as Mark Jackson is back. And I, I, I love Mark Jackson, the analyst. I love Mark Jackson, the coach. I love Mark Jackson, the analyst as well, so it's great to have him back. And, but I would love to see Mark Jackson coach this season. You know, he needs to be coaching. He's good as a coach. He's a solid coach in this league. He's a solid coach in this league. I want Mark Jackson back. as I would like to see him in coaching again. I would love to see Mark Jackson coach again. And it looks like that won't happen, at least maybe not this year. And, again, I think if a team offers him something, I think he'd be open to it because I think he probably has an opt-out. But we'll see what happens with Mark Jackson and whether or not he will be coaching in this league in 2014. I look at the situation with Mark Jackson. Obviously, he didn't get along with management. He didn't get along with management. And for that reason, he is not coaching the Golden State Warriors. But also, I mean, his replacement, Steve Kerr. I mean, Steve Kerr has never coached in the NBA before. And you look at him, I think Mark Jackson got a three-year, $6 million deal his first time around. You look at Steve Kerr. Steve Kerr got five years, $25 million. I know he's been an executive in this league, 
But his job in Phoenix, was he, what, did he do that great of a job? Did he do that great of a job? I mean, I know Phil Jackson thinks highly of this guy, but five years, $25 million for a guy who's never coached in the NBA before, it's a lot, considering what others have gotten, considering what other coaches, first-year coaches have gotten. That's a lot. That's an abs- That's a lot. And it's a lot of money for Steve Kerr, and it's just you wonder now with all this money given to Steve Kerr, five years, twenty-five million. Obviously, the pressure is on him. You look at the situation with Golden State. I believe that the Knicks' job is a better job than the Golden State job. I believe that if the Knicks resign Melo, this team, as it presently is constructed, can go back to the playoffs. Golden State, this is a team, as far as I'm concerned, I I can name four teams who I think are better than the Golden State Warriors have a better shot of getting to the NBA Finals and winning in the Western Conference. Next season, Houston, Clippers, the Spurs, OKC. Four teams who I believe are better right now than the Golden State Warriors. I look out in the Eastern Conference, I say the Miami Heat, but we don't know what the Miami Heat is going to be next season. I'll say the Indiana Pacers, but do the Indiana Pacers really truly scare you based off of what you've seen from them? No. So I say the Nick job, I say the Nick job is the better job. The Nick job is the better job. The better job. The better job. And after 2015, the Knicks' cap situation is much better. So after 2015, with the cap situation much better, who knows, maybe you have a shot at LaMarcus Aldridge. Maybe you have a shot at Kevin Love. I mean, it is Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson does come with a lot of rings. Phil Jackson does come with a reputation. It is the Zen master. It's Phil Jackson. A lot of people like to be with Phil Jackson. A lot of people like to be with Phil Jackson. And I just believe, from my perspective, and I know Steve Kerr had other reasons for doing what he did, I know he had other reasons for doing what he did, and he did talk about the family, and that that was important to him. And I know his kids are out there. We all know that. We all know that. But the point is, just in terms of, you know, I'm not I'm not looking out in terms of the family side. I'm looking at in terms of just on the basketball court. As far as on the basketball court, if I'm Steve Kerr and I looked at it from strictly a basketball perspective. I'm staying or I'm going to New York. And if you win in New York, you know, if you win in New York, it looks great for you. They'll love you forever. They haven't won since 73. They'll love you forever. They'll love you forever. So this is the perfect place 
far as I'm concerned, and just being able to win. Because Golden State could get better and still not make it to the NBA Finals. They, they could get better. I mean, look at the, you know, the Western Conference is a tough conference. It's a tough conference. It's hard to win in the West. I mean, look at OKC and what they had to go through to get to the Western Conference Finals. They had to go through the Memphis Grizzlies, which is a very good basketball team, and they had to go through the Clippers, another very good basketball team. Look at the Heat. Look who the Heat had to go through. Look at the Heat had to look who the Heat had to go through. Look who the Heat had to go through. The Heat had to go through the Bobcats. The Bobcats. Yes, the Bobcats. The Heat had to go through the Bobcats. And the Heat had to go through, not the Heat, yeah, the Heat had to go through the Bobcats, and they had to go through the Brooklyn Nets. Compare that to what OKC had to go through. Memphis and the Clippers. It's no, It's really not even close. It's not even close. So, as far as I'm concerned, the best job for Steve Kerr is the New York job. And you wonder now when Mark Jackson returned to the booth, and I'm assuming, again, there's probably some kind of opt-out situation for him, but with him returning to the booth, it's going to be interesting now. It's going to be interesting now where Mark Jackson goes, or if Mark Jackson doesn't go anywhere, if he takes a year off takes a year off and says, you know what, I'm going to take this year off and I'm going to come back after that. But I, I can't imagine if the Knicks job was, was there for Mark Jackson to take. I can't imagine he wouldn't take it. I, I can't imagine he wouldn't take it. I, I can't imagine he wouldn't take it if the Knicks offered him the job. I mean, he's a New York guy, St. John's, rookie of the year with the Knicks. He's a New York guy. And that, was, to me, would be the perfect job. I know there was talk about Derek Fisher in the mix, Jim Clemens in the mix, a guy who knows the triangle very, very well. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think Phil Jackson does have to make a splash type of coaching pick, a splash type of coaching pick. And I wonder what's out there for him to make that splash. Mark Jackson would be a splash name, but other than that, who else is out there? Derek Fisher? No. Jim Clemens? You know, Jim Clemens, a triangle guy? I mean, who's out there? Lionel Hollins? He's not a triangle guy. I mean, what's, what's out there? What's out there? I mean, but again, out east, there's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of uncertainty with LeBron James. Where will he go? The Pacers. How good are they really? There's a lot of uncertainty. Brooklyn is in serious. Brooklyn's going to be in transition next season. You know, there's no guarantee with Paul Pierce. And even with the payroll that they had, they only made it to the second round. So, this should be interesting. 
how this thing plays out. But I'm glad Mark Jackson's in the booth. I'm glad Mark Jackson is, is, is back. I'm, I'm happy to hear Mark Jackson again. I mean, I'm glad to hear Mark Jackson again. That, that group of Van Gundy and, and Jackson and, and Mike Breen, that, that's a big-time group. That's good. That's big-time. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Mark Jackson and, and Jeff Van Gundy. They had a good relationship, and, and they went back and forth, and, and they had fun. It made it fun. made it fun to hear. So I, I'm happy to have that back. And I'm happy to see that back. But, again, I want to see Mark Jackson. I want to see Mark Jackson back. Big C Radio gave me a, a suggestion. Maybe Avery Johnson. Maybe Avery Johnson could be the next new head coach. I mean, I don't know if Avery Johnson knows the triangle. Does that change anything? Does that mean anything for Phil Jackson? Is, does he have to have a coach who knows the triangle and is well-versed in the triangle offense? Does he have to have that? Is that a prerequisite to be the coach of the New York Knicks? I don't know. I don't know, but you look at Phil Jackson. Does Phil Jackson decide, you know what, let me just come down from this perch and let me just coach the team. I can't find anybody to coach the team. I can't find anybody in my image, if you will. So let me come on down and let me coach the New York Knicks for now. For now. Maybe that's what needs, Maybe that's what happens. If you're Carmelo Anthony and Phil Jackson is your and you know that Phil Jackson is your coach, you probably are going to return to the Knicks. You probably would return. You probably would. So it's going to be interesting. Phil Jackson has expressed that he wants Melo to return. He's, he has expressed that he wants Melo back. And with that being said, if Mello wants it, I mean, Mello holds all the cards. And here's the thing. Mello holds all the cards here. And with that being said, whatever Mello wants, Mello's going to get. If Mello wants to return, he can return. If he doesn't, he won't. That's the bottom line. So Melo holds all the cards here. The Knicks, as far as I'm concerned, we'll see what happens with their coaching. We'll we'll see what happens with this team. This is a big summer for the New York Knicks. And at the end of the day, you know, Phil Jackson is a heck of a coach, but we don't know if he is a a big-time executive. We don't know that. We don't know that. This is the first time doing it. Steve Kerr, decent executive. Steve Kerr, you know, highly talked about by Phil Jackson and others, but we don't know if he's going to be a big-time coach. We just don't know. And it should be interesting how this plays out. I can't wait. I can't wait. But let's go back to, to the games that are playing now. The, the, the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals get started tomorrow. The Pacers and then, uh, the Miami Heat. And, again, this is what the Indiana Pacers wanted. This is what they asked for. You know, and, you know, a wise man once said, be careful what you ask for. But this is what they asked for. They, they asked for 
home court advantage against the Miami Heat. Well, you've got it. And, you know, Roy Hibbert seems to be playing a little better. And I know this, every time Roy Hibbert has scored in double figures, every time the Indiana Pacers have won. Every single time. Every single time. Every time. So Roy Hibbert, to me, has to be big. He has to be big. As Marlon Guild said, Evan Turner, this is the reason why you bring in Evan Turner for the Miami Heat. Roy Hibbert, this is why you have Roy Hibbert. So the biggest advantage, you remember that game back in Indiana. It was back in April, I believe. Maybe it was March. And... Roy Hibbert went 13 points in that first quarter and ends up with 21 points in that game. Ultimately, the Indiana Pacers would win. Hibbert seems to be, you look at in terms of advantage, advantage, disadvantage. The one true advantage that the Indiana Pacers have is Roy Hibbert. That's the advantage. That's the advantage they have, Roy Hibbert. That, to me, is their biggest advantage. So your biggest advantage has to come out and has to play big in this series. He has to prove that he is an all-star. I mean, this is what all-star centers do. All-star centers prove and be play like all-stars when the stakes are high, and the stakes are high here. The, the stakes are high. This is the Eastern Conference Finals. And there was a lot of people, again, who never expected the Miami, not the Miami, the Indiana Pacers to be here. They didn't expect the, Miami, the Indiana Pacers to be here. I mean, the Hawks almost beat them. The Wizards, after, especially after game one. You, after game one, after the way the Wizards beat, beat up on the Pacers in game one, you were like, wow, maybe the Wizards will beat the Pacers. But, you know, uh, say what you want about the Indiana Pacers. They have shown some toughness. I mean, to get to this point, you've got to be tough. And to get to, through two rounds in the playoffs, you have to be tough. And they were tough. They, they were absolutely tough against the Hawks when they needed to be against the Wizards when they needed to be. I mean, again, I I bring up what we saw in game six against the Wizards, and those Wizards, they took the lead with that Bradley Beal three, and then from there the Pacers just took over the basketball game. You know, they they just took the game away, and they they did what a championship team is supposed to do in that particular situation. They took over the basketball game, and they dominated the end of that basketball game. And that's what you need to do. And that's what they did. And that's why they're in this position right now. I was hoping. Here, here, here's was my hope. I, I was hoping. I was hoping that, you know, we would have what we saw in that first round with a bunch of game sevens. I mean, I was just hoping to watch basketball, a lot more basketball. I was hoping the Wizards would win so I can see more basketball, see a game seven. I mean, I was hoping the Clippers would win so I could see a game seven. 
I mean, I was hoping for all that. Didn't happen, but I was hoping for it. The Wizards really had a great opportunity in that in that series. But, uh, you know, I, I'll speak to this. Here's the thing about that Wizards team, and here's the thing about that Pacers team. You saw which two of those teams were the battle were battle tested teams. You saw the more battle tested team with the Pacers. They're a much more battle tested team than the Washington Wizards, and it showed. It showed in those games. It showed in how they closed basketball games. It showed. The more battle tested team was the Indiana Pacers. They were the more battle tested team, and it showed. I mean, those guys have been there before. They know what they know what it takes. They know what it takes. And the Wizards, they didn't know what it took to, to, to get far in these playoffs. They didn't know. And it showed. They didn't know. And the Pacers did. And it showed. And now the Pacers, even though they should have lost to the Hawks, even though they could have lost to the Wizards, they're here. They're here. And we'll see if they can take advantage of it. We'll see if they can take advantage of having home court advantage. We'll see if they can take advantage of, of, of playing for what they've been playing for this whole regular season, this whole season. I can't I, – I can't – I can see the Pacers winning this series. I don't think it's going to happen, but I can see it happening. I just think, you know, Miami is obviously the more talented team. LeBron is playing at a very high level. D-Way is spry. D-Wade, I should say, is spry. Ray Allen's hitting big shots. Chris Bosh is playing well. The Heat are playing some pretty good basketball right now. And just like the Indiana Pacers are on a mission, the Miami Heat are on a mission. Now, I know Marlon said five games. I don't necessarily see that happening. I see the Heat winning, but I'm, I'm leaning towards six games. Close it out in Miami. I think the Heat closed it out in Miami in six. And I think it's going to be a, a, a good six-game series. And I just think the Miami Heat are a better basketball team. I really do. Now, if the Indiana Pacers can somehow, some way, find a way to get it to Game 7 in their building, well, you've got to give them a chance because you've got to give any team who has Game 7 in their building a very good opportunity to win. History will tell you that. About 80% teams who have, home court, who have the home court in Game 7, 80% of the time they win. So you have to say, you have to say that, you know, if the Pacers can somehow, some way, get it to Game Seven in Indiana, then you know you, you got to give them. A, you got to say advantage Indiana. You got to say advantage Indiana. But we'll see. It's going to be tough. And you know, you, you look at the other series, the Western Conference Finals, and you, you look at the Spurs and OKC. And obviously, after what we heard about Serge Ibaka and him not being able to play in this series and for the rest of these playoffs, it changes things. And, and, and things really do change in this series. And 
on a, you know, initially I had OKC winning this series. There's just no doubt about it in my mind winning this series. You know, they they just they match up well against the Spurs, and, and I thought with the way they're playing right now, and obviously I thought Serge Ibaka would be there. I had OKC winning this series. No Ibaka now, and and that's going to be huge. And I, and I detailed what he did in the regular season against the Spurs. 14 points, 11 rebounds, and four blocks per game. That's rim protection. That's the guy who protects the rim. Well, you're not going to have that. That's gone. And it's never to come back in this series. It's gone. So you lose that rim protection. And that's, it's going to be hard for them. The statistics tell you. Stats tell you. The numbers tell you that, again, the Thunder gave up 93 points per 100 possessions with Ibaka on the court. With him off the court, it's totally different. Totally different. 120.8 with him off the court. So it, it's, it's totally different. Totally different. And I don't know how you can replace that. And I think this is a, you know, you look at it, could this be almost a blessing in disguise for Scott Brooks from this standpoint? Let's just say Serge Ibaka's there and OKC loses to the Spurs. What's the excuse for Scott Brooks if everybody's healthy? There's really no excuse. I don't think there's really no excuse. But I, I with... Abaka out now, you now have an excuse if you're Scott Brooks. Look, third best player on the team is gone. Our rim protector is gone. Our best defender is gone. So now you have a built-in excuse. And you can even argue, you know, ultimately, three years ago when they got to the NBA Finals with James Harden on the roster, you know, Losing that finals, you know, they, they were there for the first time. They were a young team. You thought that we'd be back. But obviously you thought, James, you would have the services of James Harden. And you didn't. Ultimately, they traded him to the Houston Rockets. And now, you know, you lose that piece. And then last year you lost Westbrook to the, in, in the Houston series. You still found a way to win that series, but everybody knew you had no shot of winning an NBA title without Russell Westbrook last season. So, I look at that, and, you know, I, I say Scott Brooks had an excuse there. He had an excuse there. He had an excuse when he lost in the NBA Finals. And now he has another excuse because Serge Ibaka's out against the San Antonio Spurs. He has an excuse now. He has a legitimate excuse, a legitimate excuse. And you wonder now, you wonder if OKC can replace Serge Ibaka. I mean, as I said earlier, Russell Westbrook is going to have to be bigger. Durant is going to have to be bigger. Collison and Steven, Steven Adams and, and Perkins, they're not Serge Ibaka, but they have to find a way to replace what Ibaka did. They're not going to be able probably to replace his shot blocking, but they might be able to replace his points. Might be able to replace his points. You're not going to be able to replace the shot block. You're just not. 
I mean, Karan Butler is going to have to step up. Reggie Jackson is going to have to step up. And, of course, Collison and Steven Adams are going to have to step up. And Kevin Durant, I mean, he's going to, you might see Kevin Durant playing the four in this series. And, and I think, you know, at this point in time, Scott Brooks is just going to try to have to find a way. He's going to have to do it on the fly to, to figure out what lineups work best against the San Antonio Spurs. He's going to do it on the fly. But this is why you played the big bucks. This is you're the coach. You got to figure this out. You got to make adjustments. Can you? And and it's just it's so much uncertainty and whether or not. I don't think any of us at this point in time can definitively say that OKC can or cannot replace Serge Ibaka. On the surface, you don't think that I don't think there there's they can. I don't think they can. I'm trying to figure out how. Again, they can replace the points, but they can't replace what you get on the defensive side with Serge Ibaka. That's going to be difficult to replace. That's going to be difficult to replace. And San Antonio is playing some good basketball right now. Kawhi Leonard's giving you a lot. And Tony Parker, you wonder what's going to happen with Tony Parker and how he feels injury-wise, how his hamstring is. Is that hamstring? Where, where's it at? Where's the hamstring at this point in time? Is that hamstring 100% going to be 100%? Will that hamstring be 100%? Because you're going to need what he brings to the table as well. You're going to need what he brings to the table. So, I mean, it's going to be a very interesting Western and Eastern Conference Finals. If you, Like I said earlier, if you're the NBA, this is what you've wanted. This is what you've asked for. I mean, you couldn't ask for anything. These are probably the four best teams. The two best teams are in their respective conferences. These are the four best teams. You can't ask for anything more. Can the Indiana Pacers finally overcome the heat? Will the San Antonio Spurs prove that, yes, even though we got to the NBA Finals without beating OKC, that we can beat OKC in a seven-game series? We saw what happened a few years ago. We saw what happened in the season series. OKC, four games to oh, four to nothing. We saw what happened a few years ago when San Antonio got out early in that series and OKC took it over in dominating fashion, won that series. We've seen it. We have seen it. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. And I, I can't wait. I just can't wait. I'm looking forward to seeing some big-time basketball out of the four best teams alive and ready to go in these playoffs. Should be fun. Should be fun. And, I, and again, as I said earlier, this proves how hard it is for any team to get to the NBA Finals. This shows how difficult it is in the journey this shows how difficult it is. You know, it's difficult, difficult to to get to the NBA Finals. It's difficult to stay healthy enough to get to the NBA Finals. It's difficult. And OKC, the past two seasons, have fell victim to injuries. Can they overcome it? You're listening to Go Forward on Blog Talk Radio. 
Hello, welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all. That's that Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. <laughs> and we're back, and we're scheduled to be joined by Devin Alexander, welterweight contender. He has a big fight coming up next month against Jesus Soto Carras, but still working to get that, still working to get him on. So hopefully we can get him on before we get out of here at three. Hopefully. I mean, it's a big fight for Devin Alexander, a big opportunity for him. I mean, this this is his chance. It's a kind of make-or-break fight for him in a lot of ways. I mean, if he wins this fight, you know, now he's back in contention. He loses this fight, then at this point it becomes difficult. It really becomes difficult for him moving forward if he does not, does not get it done. It's going to be difficult for him. We're we're hoping to get him on before we get out of here at 3 o'clock, hopefully. Chris Paul. Um... You know, you you look at Chris Paul over the years, and you look at his performances in the playoffs. You look at his regular season performances, and, and obviously the guy over the years has put up numbers. Obviously, the guy is big time. Obviously, he's big time. But you know, at some point, you got to get out of the second round. And you know, you look at Game Five against OKC. You know, them losing that game, meaning the Clippers. You know, you you got to charge Chris Paul with that. You know, part of the, them losing that game is what happened at the end with Chris Paul. You know, so you got to give him something for what happened in that series. You got to give him something. You can't give him a pass. You can't give Chris Paul a pass for what happened in that series, and especially what happened in Game Five. You can't give him a pass, and. Chris Paul's had a hard time getting through the second round and hasn't gotten through the second round. And you look at the talent on this roster, I mean, Blake Griffin, one of the better power forwards in this game, DeAndre Jordan turned into one, to one of the better big men, big men in this game. You know, Jamal Crawford, sixth man of the year award winner. You know, you, you got a big-time coach in Doc Rivers. At some point, you, you got to start getting past the second round. You gotta start getting past the second round, and Chris Paul to this point hasn't been able to do that. Obviously, he's big time. We all know that he's a, he's a big time point guard in this league. One of the better point guards, maybe the best in this league. One of the best point, better point guards in this league. But you know, you look at the situation in, in New Orleans, and you can see, you can understand him losing and not getting far in the playoffs with the New Orleans Hornets that year. The year they lost to the Spurs in the second round. The year they had game seven in their building and still lost. You can see it. You, you, you can give them a pass on some level for that. 
But and I know OKC. OKC and and and, and the Clippers, uh, they're pretty close. Two pretty evenly matched teams. You know, and you were big in game one in this series. You were big. Eight threes. You were big in game one. You were one of the reasons in game four that they came back. Darren Collinson was big too. But you, you were big. Your defense on Kevin Durant was big. Big. And you were one of the reasons that you were able to get back to OKC tied at two. Back to Oklahoma City with the series tied at two. You were one of the reasons. But you were up big against OKC in game five. Game six, excuse me. You were up big in that game. In that situation, game six, with a big lead in your building, you have to win that. You have to win that game. You you can't let OKC win that game. You can't do it. You can't let OKC win that game. And and then you know, credit to Kevin Durant, the MVP, and he showed why he was an MVP in this league. He was big. He showed why he's an MVP. His play showed why he's an MVP. In a closeout game, you needed your big guy to do big things, and Kevin Durant did big things. But the same has to go for Chris Paul. You need your big guy to do big things in a closeout game. You need it. Kevin Durant came up big, came up huge. He was huge. And Chris Paul was just as good, 25 and 11. But you've got to be better. You've got to be better. And Kevin Durant was better, 39 and 16. Westbrook, 19 and 12. I mean, 39 and 16 in a closeout game is big. 39, 16, and 5 is big. And that's what Kevin Durant was in that closeout game against the L.A. Clippers. He was big. Chris Paul, again, he was decent. 25, 11, and 7 boards. That's solid. But in your building, you've got to be better. And I'm not saying it's all on Chris Paul. I'm not saying it's all on Chris Paul. And, you know, in this league, superstars sometimes get too much of the blame you know, in this league. Sometimes they get too much credit, and sometimes, they, you know, we, we give them too much credit. Sometimes they take too much blame when they don't deserve it. Sometimes they take too much blame when they don't deserve it. And in this particular case, maybe Chris Paul is taking too much of the blame. But you can't argue with game five. That was on him. That was on him. You know, you're up seven under a minute to go. You have to close out that game. It's just no excuse. You have to close out that basketball game. And the thing about it, it's funny. You know, a lot of people said, okay, you remember when, when it seemed like Chris Paul fouled Steph Curry on that three, and he got away with it. He got away with it. And that's the thing about the NBA. Now, you, you know, people talk about conspiracy theories. People talk about, you know, things of that nature. But, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes you get the calls. And sometimes the calls go against you. And in that particular situation, the call went against Chris Paul. I mean, he did, he did hit him on the elbow. He hit him on the elbow. And it was a, 
See, here's the thing. I mean, I guess in that particular situ- situation, you want the referees to, to not be involved. But, you know, when it comes to the whole basic premise of officiating is advantage, disadvantage, did you gain an advantage by doing what you did? And he did gain an advantage. He slapped his elbow. And if you know anybody that shoots the basketball, slap their elbow and see how they shoot. Slap their elbow and see how they shoot. And then the out-of-bounds call on Reggie Jackson and everything, ultimately Rod, Rod Thorne said that was the appropriate call. So that worked. And so, I mean, here's the thing. Things even up. Sometimes the calls go with you. Sometimes they go against you. But things even up. And that's just the nature of the beast. That's the nature of sports. It happens in all sports. It happens in all leagues. That's the nature of it. Sometimes it gets you. Sometimes you get them. But it all evens out. But anyway, Chris Paul, I think, we, we, I think it's fair to criticize. I, I, I think at this point, you know, it's time for him to take that next step. And that next step is the conference finals, at least. Clippers are a very good basketball team. A lot of talent. I mean, how much more talent do you need, and how much more talent are you actually going to get? And then with their ownership situation and that being in turmoil, who knows how that's going to shake out. I mean, you know, based off what I'm hearing, that could be going for, for, for a while. I mean, they could be going, that could be going on. That could be an ongoing situation. That situation could be going on for years. I'm hearing people say this thing could go on for years if, if Donald Sterling really fights it the way I think he probably is going to fight it. So that ownership situation is always going to be in flux for a while. It's going to be in flux for a while. So you're probably going to have to get used to it. So you wonder how that's going to affect the Clippers adding pieces or or you wonder how that's going to affect you know some of the current players wanting to be on the roster and stay on the roster. You wonder if Doc Rivers is going to still want to coach under these conditions. You wonder. But at some point, Chris Paul, Chris Paul has to break through. I think the statistic was 22, I believe 22 and 31 in the playoffs, his record in the playoffs, 22 and 31. That's not – I know some of those were with New Orleans. But at the end of the day – you got to break through. you got to break through, and you got to get to the conference finals. I want to touch on Aaron Hernandez. I mean, he was indicted this week for not the thing that he's in, currently held in prison for, but for another murder. Mur- mur- uh, I can't even talk. Another murder back in 2012. I mean, what is Aaron? I mean, if that's true, Aaron Hernandez played a season after killing two people. Played a season after killing two people. I mean, he's charged now. He got an indicted, an indictment for double homicide, double murder back in 2012. And then he went out onto the field and played football the following season. And then now, you know, we also have the situation with the reason why he's held in jail for the murder of Odin Lloyd. And they're saying he could be arraigned as early as next week with this. Next week. Jeez. Aaron Hernandez. What's wrong? What is wrong? I mean, you know, obviously, this is a story that started 
from the bottom to the top, and now you're back at the bottom. Started from the bottom, and now you're here at the bottom in jail. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that for Aaron Hernandez. And, you know, now he's probably going to have to fight two murder cases. And it seems like they have some kind of murder weapon for this case in 2012. I mean, this is, this is crazy. I mean, has there ever been a story like this in the NFL? I don't think there has. I mean, O.J., during, he was far removed from the NFL. This is a current NFL player, maybe Ray Carruth. But not, you know, Ray Carruth didn't have the stature of Aaron Hernandez. Aaron, Ray Carruth wasn't the type of player that Aaron Hernandez was. He wasn't. He wasn't the type of player Aaron Hernandez is. And now, you know, I mean, Aaron Hernandez won a better tight end than football. He's only won a better tight end than football. And now this. One of better tight ends than football. And now this. Now this. And... It's it's an unfortunate situation. It's just it's just it's just a it's just a weird situation. Just something you never thought was was. I mean, this guy was a mess. Is was a mess, an absolute mess. And you know, based off based off what we see and what we're hearing. It's probably not going to get better. Not going to get better. And you know, this guy probably will never see the light of day again in life. He'll probably never see the light of day in life. I want to thank Marlon Gill for stopping by. Um, we were trying to get Devin Alexander on the line, we weren't able to do it. Hopefully, we can get him back. He's been on our show numerous times, so hopefully we can get him back in the near future. Um, so hopefully we'll, just, we'll see what we can do. But Devin Alexander won't, won't be joining us, and hopefully we can get him on at another time. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pgan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow us on Twitter at GoForItGan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. Follow us there. Hit us up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash user slash Go for it, Gant. For everybody here at Go For It, we hope you have a great weekend. See you later. Take care. Bye.